This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linode.com slash rubyrogues. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Dave Kimura. Hey, everybody. David Richards. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. I just want to do a quick shout out before we get too far. If you're interested in an Elixir podcast, um, go to devchat.tv slash Elixir Mix and uh, support the the Indiegogo campaign. Uh, We have a special guest this week, and that is Jesus Castello. Hello, hello. How are things going? Great, great. Uh, do you want to give us just a brief introduction, who you are, what you're famous for, all that good stuff? Sure. Well, I've been a developer for many years, and I picked up Ruby six years ago, and I thought it was a really cool language. I really enjoyed uh, coding with it. So I did some freelance work, some open source work with it. And then right now I'm focusing teaching Ruby to others. Yeah, I, I, we found you through your Ruby website and in particular your performance improvements in Ruby 2.5. So we figured, hey, let's talk about it, right? Yeah. So um, one thing that I'm just going to chime in here with to get us started is uh, back in October, um, I put on Ruby Dev Summit and we had Matt's come and he was talking about uh, basically Ruby 3.0 and he was talking about how he wanted to see uh, three times speed improvement and 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 a few other things in Ruby 3. And so a lot of these performance improvements are things that we're seeing in Ruby 2.5. And so mm-hmm. um, I was I was just like, oh, wow, you know, this is showing some of this movement that we wanted to see in Ruby 2.5. Do you want to just give us some context around this particular um, article you wrote and how you put those benchmarks together? Yeah, sure. So what they did is I went over... Since the performance um, changes are not documented in the change log, I had to actually dig into the commit uh, messages for Ruby 2.5. I went through them one by one, and I pulled out the ones that were relevant to performance. And then I read the, the message, and I did my own um I ran my own benchmarks in my own machine to verify that indeed this is a performance upgrade. And then I post about, the, about my own results on, the, on my blog. Awesome. One thing I thought was interesting about these benchmarks is that it starts out with things like uh, string append and prepend, um, you know, enumerable and things like that, maybe range, min and max. Um, one thing that I thought was interesting there was that these seem like pretty simple things. And yes. 
when I, when I was starting out, I was like, okay, but what about all the heavy computational stuff? And then I realized that um, most of what I do in Ruby is web development. And so what it's doing is it's essentially converting stuff into HTML strings and cramming it together. And so a lot of this stuff is stuff that is going to impact my Rails apps. Right. So this is free performance, which is the best kind. You know, I love that where, you know, one thing I've seen from Ruby version to Ruby version is that they've done really good about not breaking things. You know, unlike going from a Rails 5.0 app to a Rails 5.1, you know, you're running around the house, you know, like it's on fire, you know, crazy <laughs> and stuff. But, you know, between Ruby versions, it's pretty stable, you know. Uh, they don't do too, too many deprecations, and it's never uh, anything that doesn't take more than, you know, a few hours maybe fixing your application. Uh, I know one of the things that's coming out, and we talked about on a previous episode, was the frozen string literal that's coming at the top of each application by, or each one of the Ruby files by default. So if you have any kind of mutability that you need to do within strings, then you should set the frozen string literal to false. So, I mean, I think that's like the biggest, like earth shattering breaking change that they've had in quite some time. So I'm really happy about it. You know, I should hopefully be able to just go into my apps, throw in Ruby 2.5 and everything just still kind of works. Hopefully. Yeah, and these little changes add up. It might not seem like much is happening, but they, they keep adding up version by version of, of new Ruby versions. Yep, absolutely. Now, there are a bunch of other changes that are coming in Ruby. Um, I know they posted on GitHub, uh, I, I don't know what they call it, a blob, I guess, where they, uh, they posted the news uh, on Ruby uh, 2.5 and the changes since 2.4. One of the ones that I thought was really interesting, and I'm curious to see what all of you think about this, is that they updated the standard library to include Bundler and, you know, a handful of other things, uh, you know, changes to some of the other libraries, but Bundler is just being added to the standard library. And I think that's something that everybody uses, so it makes some sense, but if you keep adding stuff to the standard library, that's more stuff you have to pull in, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, you know, let's be honest with ourselves. Like, what's the first thing that you do after you install Ruby on your computer? You install Bundler. I mean, that's just kind For of me, a given. Yeah. Literally last night, 10 o'clock last night, I've got a project I'm loading up. Very first thing. Oh, yeah, I don't have Bundler. <laughs> <laughs> so, Get Bundler on this RVM uh, gem set, and then I could start building up everything again. Wait, you use so, RVM gem sets? That's like so ten years ago. Oh, I know. I was an old. <laughs> I was on an old setup. <laughs> Once I no. set up a machine, I don't tend to to touch it again. And this machine has been sitting here for a very long time. <laughs> but what if you like dependency hell? <laughs> there's there's nothing wrong with RVM. <laughs> you you people and all of your complaints about it, you can just stuff it. <laughs> RVM is great. It is. It's awesome. <laughs> well, it's not worth uh, messing with. Once you've got something, you've got something, and you're good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm correct. Ruby. I changed to CH Ruby because I think it's simple to manage. I don't know. It's, it's just simple. Uh, mm -hmm. RVM 
feels like a behemoth, right? Like a big thing. Peach Ruby is super simple. It's like the philosophy for Unix tools. The one tool should do, it, should do one thing well, right? Right. CH Ruby is good at. Yeah. So you know, you've I got think CH it's CH Ruby. We got RVM and RBEMVE. Anything else? What What are you guys using? So CH Ruby. I, mm-hmm. I use RVM. I just I'm I'm too lazy to change. It works. If it if it ever stops working, then I'll probably switch. But I never get any you know issues that make me go. Oh, I need something different. So yeah, as long as you're not using System Ruby, I think we're all okay. Uh, no, but. You know, I, I really think that's kind of like a point against, you know, well, what's a better camera, a Nikon, a Canon, a Leica or whatever. You know, it really comes down to what feels most natural to you. And that's the right answer for you. So whether it's, you know, RBM or CHRuby or RVM, they're all fine choices in my book. And whatever's going to best help you to just get start programming, go with that. No, we need a real holy war here. Come on. <laughs> you know, I stepped in at once where I, I was at a new job, new project, and I had a strong opinion about RBM. I liked RBM. And uh, I guess the CTO got offended, I found out later. <laughs> created a holy war my first day of the, of the job. <laughs> nice. Well, it's good to hear. I think we've all done that on one thing or another. <laughs> yep. But yeah. Uh, I just, I just, yeah. So overall, just Bundler being there, it just makes a lot of sense. Of course, what that's really going to do to me is that I'm going to install Ruby 2.4 for an old project. And then I'm going to be like, why isn't it? Why? why, Oh, yeah, I have to install Bundler now. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I think for Bundler, that's kind of an exception to the role where that's going to be one of the welcome additions. Whereas if they started adding in um, natural language processing libraries or a bunch of other stuff that just really made the whole Ruby package heavier, then we would start getting some kickback. But Bundler, I think, is a fair fair one to add in. Well, they do have... Uh... Under string, they have it listed each grapheme cluster. So, you know, there is some um, language parsing stuff in there that they're adding in. Look, man, I'm just trying to prevent the Skynet, okay? (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Uh, I'm curious, you know, as as, uh, all of you have looked at uh, Ruby 2.5, I mean, what are you seeing there that you're excited that's coming in? I mean, besides the... Uh, performance improvements and things like that that we're sort of getting for free with a uh, oh use this version now. I really like the GL self method. Have you seen the GL self method on kernel? It's very interesting. Uh, no, I didn't see. Oh, yield self, yeah. Yes. Uh, it allows you to, in some cases, uh, it allows you to remove temporary variables. Like you're doing some kind of processing with map, select, inject, right? And then you want to do an if statement on that, for example. And you will need a temporary variable. But with GL self, what it allows you to, to do is to change that uh, at the end, like a method chain, right? Mm-hmm. And 
it 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 passes the the object itself into the block as a block argument. So for example, if you do five dot yield self and a block, five will be the block argument. That's why it's yield self. It yields the same object. So this what allows you to change um, methods without having to use a temporary variable. So I really like that. I'm trying to think of what like a, a use case would be for that. Do you have an example? Yeah, well, the example I gave the, of saving you the uh, temporary variable, right? Because sometimes you need a temporary variable just to, just to be able to say, if this thing is true, then do this or something else. And with the yield self, you can put the if statement in a block. Mm -hmm. And then you, you use the same object you were working with. Oh, okay. Before having to create the temporary variable. I have an actual code example somewhere. Can find that for you. Yeah, I think but that would take be helpful. It would take me a minute to find. One thing I've really liked about Elixir is that chaining is normal. And so yield self sounds right. You know, just well, I didn't think I'd want to chain a lot of methods until I started chaining a lot of methods and realized it was elegant, it was easy to read. Uh, my intention. And so being able to keep a single chain together um, where the output of one becomes the input of the next and it's just easy to always do that without breaking it up with like, you know, uh, as is saying with uh, other, other tools. So that's kind of exciting for me. At least that's becoming my new normal. Yeah, I'm trying to so, remember what that operator's called. The pipe operator. Pipe operator, that's right. Yeah. So at one point, do you realize that, wait, 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 I have 10 things chained together. That's just way too much. <laughs> I mean, de debugging becomes a nightmare if you like abuse it. You know, I think, you know, in, in some small portions, you know, chaining one or two things together is okay because you can kind of read it and expect the output. But by the six chained item, you're like, I have no idea what's getting passed in here. And I have no idea what I'm expecting back. And, and, and yeah, we found that in our refactorings as well. We'll do four or five chain in our chain now with our, pro, with our production code. But beyond that, you start having a high likelihood that you didn't handle an error condition very well. And so chains are good to a point, but they get hard to understand at some point. And they also, if... You know, if something's going on that gets unhandled and now you're in an untenable state, you need to slow it down and do less. Yeah. So I've always found, and I know we kind of gotten a little bit off topic here, but uh, if I find myself chaining like four or five things together, I'll usually move like two of those chains over into a private method or something of that class. And then I'll chain just like two separate private methods that are very explicit with what they're supposed to do, like the kind of input they're taking and what they're going to do. That way it's a bit less confusing. But I, what I find is it's more, how do I put it? So, you know, you have a series of things that you're doing and you're essentially taking the input from one thing and handing it off to the next thing. 
you know, with this chaining. Um, and what I find is if it's all pretty simple to follow, you know, it's all, it's all one process. It's pretty obvious what's going on. Um, then that, that makes sense. But yeah, if you can break it up into two larger super steps, I guess, you know, cause you have six regular steps or six things that you chain together. Um, but you know, one is part of one stage and one is part of the other stage. Then, um, you know, yeah, just then breaking those two things up into their own methods makes a lot of sense. And then you just chain those two things together and it, it becomes more clear. Okay. I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm capitalizing the names or cleaning up this input or whatever in, in this stage. And then I'm processing it in the next stage. And, mm -hmm. and initially, usually I wind up writing those as one big long string, you know, chain of, of things that I'm doing. So, yeah. I posted yeah. the yield self example on Skype chat. Yeah. So what, what else is coming in Ruby 2.5? I mean, you know, for me, the, the performance is kind of a big thing. And a lot of these things, I don't know that I'm necessarily going to use them so much as the, the gems I'm using are going to use them. <laughs> well, we have, we have some changes like on the top of the news file, we can find these uh, like language changes and it says something like top level constant lockup remove. And I can explain what that means. What that means is that right now before Ruby 2.5, you can do something like a string colon, colon, string, colon, colon, string, colon, colon, integer, colon, colon. You can do like an infinite loop like that of mm -hmm. uh, constants. And Ruby 2.5 is removing that because it has no actual use. And on top of that, the explanation that's given to remove this is that it gives you problems with Rails autoloading system. So that's one thing I found interesting, one of the changes. I'm curious how much that's going to break. Because hmm. I, think, I think we do that, uh, that, that lookup. I, I think we rely on that some. Maybe. We find out, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I know that Matt doesn't like breaking changes if you watch any of his thoughts. He always talks about um, non-break, trying to not break old uh, versions of Ruby. He's always concerned about that. So I'm sure he thinks it's true. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, is, you know, if you're focusing on performance or, you know, how you're going to move forward in specific ways, I mean, there's probably a, a really good reason for it and not just, oh, well, you know, we, we really don't want people to do this or, you know, there's this gotcha out there for it. Um, yeah, it just, it makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting how production um, friendly that is being willing to keep things as stable as possible. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's a huge deal. I, I've heard people complain sometimes about the Ruby world, the Rails world when we have updating gems, but the actual core standard library um, is very dependable, I think. And um, it's it's worked very well, especially I've had experiences with Node. Um, I like Node, but um, I've had a project where it was a kind of complicated project. And three months later, I came back 
And the dependencies were so different. I couldn't recover it. I didn't want to recover it after a, a day of messing with it. It was just too, too many breaking changes. So I think they do a pretty good job of that generally. Yeah, we also see this in other languages where I think it's Python um, or I don't remember. It was Python or Perl, but one of them released a version that had enough breaking changes into it where they had a, an adoption problem getting people to move up. And yeah, Python 2.7 is yeah. still a standard in a lot of places. And they have this weird problem over there at Python 2. They have a lot of data science libraries that were written by people like in graduate school and then they moved on. <laughs> So you have a lot of old, old stuff that just, it's good stuff. It's just nobody's around to maintain it. And um, that's part of the problem that I've seen in Python. Yeah. <laughs> Ours had that same problem too. Um, I've been in on a meeting where they've had all this old R code and same thing. A lot of students and professors that built stuff, um, they based their theses on, on some R code that they submitted and then they're gone. They've gone off to do something else and right yeah it's complicated yeah so yeah. having that backward compatibility where things mostly work is really i think it's something we don't think about because it doesn't smack us in the head yeah we're lucky <laughs> yep. the the well, one other thing in the language changes oh sorry go ahead now i was just gonna say the reversing of the log errors uh, the, you know, I think that's going to be a welcome change eventually, but I think it's going to mess up so many people initially, you know, because I'm used to getting a big, long error message in my logs and then just quickly flipping up my mouse wheel to scroll up. Now I'm not going to be, well, I'm still going to be doing that. I'm like, oh, crap, forgot it's at the bottom now. <laughs> so yeah, that's going to be a welcome change because now I don't have to scroll. So, you know, it should be quicker to develop or trace back something. But it's going to be a little bit of uh, memory muscle reprogramming. Yeah. So one other thing that's coming in the language is uh, rescue, else, and ensure are going to be allowed in do end blocks. Now, it's not allowed in like the squiggle braces if you're doing blocks, but in the, the other blocks, it will be allowed. And uh, I was thinking, man, that'll be nice, too, because I don't have to put a begin in there and then have another layer of nesting in there. You know, it'd be interesting to hear how you guys, what's your go to philosophy on rescue? Um, I used to rescue everything and then I stopped <laughs> and uh, I only use it if I absolutely have to, uh, you know, and I try to architect my way around it. But um, it, I'm liking that it, you can put it in a do do end block now, but what do, you, what do you guys think about that as far as how do you use rescue? Net well, HTTP. That's where I use it because it freaking <laughs> throws an exception when it should. Yeah. <laughs> it's not broken. I got a response. I can figure out how to handle it. I don't need to freaking rescue it. Sorry. <laughs> hey guys, this is, uh, this is Eric. Sorry. I was not on earlier. I'm, I'm a little under the weather, <clears throat> but Hey, Seuss, it's great to meet you, man. Um, as far as rescues go, I'm actually sitting here coding right now and rescues can be very handy, especially when handling specific errors. Uh, for example, I'm working currently with uh, the Twilio API and the Twilio API depends on those exceptions to be thrown, um, because of the, uh, the, based on the error code that it passes back, you can really handle it well. 
Also, when you're dealing with uh, Ruby classes that might be a little bit more complex and you have a core, a base class that basically handles everything, having uh, throwing exceptions, very, very uh, intentional exceptions in that does make life quite a bit easier. I guess it depends on how you're doing it. I I don't have my, my good microphone with me right now, so <laughs> just so you get to deal with my crappy audio. So anyway, that's I'll I'll stop talking now, but I wanted to add a little bit of input. Well, I think, you know, especially if you're just starting out, the default go-to is to just do a rescue exception and just like kind of capture everything and then just try to handle it. Instead of, you know, picking up what are the possible errors or something that could get returned here. And I think that's kind of like the pitfall that a lot of people fall into is that they're like, oh, well, I could just rescue this exception and then just print out a log and then deal with it later. But that doesn't really help you in the long run. You know, it's like you kind of need to capture the specific error, handle that, and then, you know, anything that's raising some other kind of error that you didn't plan for, you know, it's probably going to throw an error 500. Yeah. I also have seen some people abuse exceptions for too many exceptions where it becomes the whole program is driven by the exceptions instead of them being used to use handle errors. Everything is handled with exceptions. And that's almost like we are back to using GoTo. Yep. Yeah, I agree. I, th I, think, I think you should know where you're ex expecting to see the exceptions. And... I'm also of the opinion that you shouldn't throw an exception unless you intend for the program to halt because of them. Um, if if you're you know so if if it's feedback, but it's feedback that you're going to handle and you don't think that the program should necessarily halt because of it, then you shouldn't be using exceptions. And that's why I have a big issue with net HTTP is because they they raise exceptions on error states or not found states, and it's you know, in my opinion, it shouldn't be there because um, I should be handling those. So anyway, so I like I like being able to also just put that around that without having to put the begin, like I said, because I think it adds another layer that you have to parse. And then from there, um, you know, I can wrap my HTTP stuff in do blocks or put a begin in front of it if, if I'm not using a do end block. Um, and then just handle things properly there. And then I can take the, it's going to halt my program because it's stupid out. For you, the listeners of Ruby Rogues, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at LootCrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from... Just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, uh, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings.
Uh, how about this change about refinements in Ruby 2.5? Uh, it says that refinements take place in string interpolations. So that what means, or at least what I take that to mean is that uh, you can use refinements inside uh, string interpolation. A string interpolation just like evaluating code, right? Mm -hmm. So when you call a method that's been defined by a refinement, then before Ruby 2.5, it will not recognize that method, but we Ruby to the file it will, it will. So what do you think about that? And does anybody use refinements at all? I really don't, I'll admit. Mm -mm. I mean, I played with them when they first came out, but it's just not a big part of what I wind up doing with Ruby. And I'm probably missing out. Well, the refinements are... I mean, they're similar to um, active support, right? Where you can add active support-esque um, functionality directly to your projects. And I, I see I see that the value there is, um, is, is additional libraries or gems that you bring in that might utilize that. So I, I don't ever use that directly, but... I'm certain that that uh, escape hatch is ideal for for gems and libraries that are brought in through applications mm -hmm. to to add add value there. Uh, you probably think you just don't realize it. Yeah, yeah. I, I mostly just meant that's not something that I am directly coding into my app. Any other of these features that we want to just uh, dive into here? So I do have a, I do have a question. Um, how much of and, and maybe you guys know this? How much of the new version of Ruby is is paving the path to the Ruby three, the, the supposedly concurrent version of Ruby? Uh, is there anything in uh, the new version that kind of lends itself to that final switch? Um, I, I should say, suppose the, the the hopeful switch that we're all waiting for. Actually, I think there is something about that. I saw about a lot of methods, like IO-related methods, that are now they now release the 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 GIL, the global interpreter lock, when working. I'm not sure if that's directly towards Ruby 3.0, but it might be one of the moves. Because if you read the, the news file, there is something, there's some methods that says, that say now releases the GBL, which is the global. For example, file stat, file exist, another RB stat using methods re release the GBL. Which is the global um, lock, the global VM lock, lo uh, global virtual machine lock. That's that line, and I think that's a step towards um, Ruby three and removing the the global lock. Yeah, I'm also aware that they're looking at using uh, some kind of JIT uh, compiler to mm -hmm. to speed things up too, and so I. I I don't know. I haven't seen anything here that directly speaks to that, but um, 
you know, it's it's definitely interesting to to see that that might be something too that they can speed up. I think some of the GVL stuff is is aiming at that too. Yeah. How much uh, of an impact do you think the Ruby version three will have, as far as um, maintaining or claiming um, uh, thought leadership? Uh, from, from, for example, Elixir or other uh, more concurrent languages. Um, how much of an impact do you think that'll have on reviving popularity of Rails? Hmm. Things hard to, to predict because a lot of the people that are not currently happy with Ruby performance, if that's why they left, will they come back? That's basically the question, right? Or we, we, the, the idea is to make it three times faster by root 3.0. We don't know if we are going to achieve that, but I think even if we did that, um, I don't know if the people that already move on are going to, to come back. I doubt it. I think it's hard to know. I think really what it comes down to is there are a lot, in my opinion, a lot of people who have reasons for using Ruby and for not using Ruby. And it essentially comes down to what trade-offs they care about. So, you know, Elixir has a lot of things going for it. But at least for me, I don't, I don't find that Elixir is necessarily easier or, or better in a lot of ways for writing code. But if I really care about the concurrency and the speed, then, you know, then maybe I would switch. And then in other cases, you know, I just want to get code written fast. And so, you know, the speed of development is something that, that Ruby does really, really well. And so if I find that my team performs better with Ruby, um, you know, it, I, I think it only impacts the people who are in that weird place where they, they want both. And the changes in Ruby 3 are going to be enough to get them over whatever performance hurdle they have. Mm -hmm. You know, I found that in the last two weeks, maybe three weeks, that at least four or five times I've needed to get things done. And speed of development, I, I grabbed Ruby yep. for that. And they were Elixir projects, they were uh, Python projects. And um, yeah, I grabbed Ruby to solve the problem quickly, you know, and, and get things done, especially when I need to interactively grok a domain. You know, I'm, I'm in there, I'm trying to figure something out and, and get it done right. You know, maybe if I was thinking about concurrency, I'd already understand the domain and, and I can I can architect something else. But if I just want something to work, Ruby's a... <laughs> it works. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's also something to be said for familiarity, right? So I may be... Um, I, I may have some ruby colored glasses on, so to speak, on some of this because I can just crank stuff out. I don't have to think as much to code in Ruby, and that's probably born as much out of my familiarity with it as it is out of the the, the language and what it offers. That and other languages suck, right? Well, I didn't want to say <laughs> that outright, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is interesting. <laughs> you know uh there was a time when i was doing some dot network and some other languages 
And I can tell you, I was not happy. Uh, it was stressful and it was, it was not fun. You know, I was doing Ruby at home and I was doing uh, Ruby on some other work projects. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not happy with where I'm at in life. Like it, it genuinely caused me a lot of stress, but Ruby, I could do, you know, day and night and not get that burnout feeling. And I think that's really important. And that goes a long way with it. You know, that, you know, are you happy? Are the improvements that they're doing good enough? You know, they don't have to be perfect. They don't have to be the answer to everything, but they, are they good enough for now? Right. And, you know, for me, it's yes. The speed improvements that they're doing in Ruby three times three, uh, and just from 2.0 to what we have 2.5 now, I mean, it's great. We're getting free, we're getting free performance. And I don't think, you know, there's any issue with it. Yeah. But there are some people that always like to chase the new. They're always chasing the new language, the new framework. Um, yeah, these people ne never will be satisfied with any kind of performance improvement that you can make to your language. Yeah. But, you know, we need pioneers like that who are always on the cutting edge. But I think to have a, a healthy mind, you, you, you need to chase that stuff anyway, at least a little bit. You know, always learn a new language, new new something. You know, think about things new. Um, that's that's healthy. I feel like. Um, but as far as production code, just you do what works. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Anything else we want to dive into here before we do picks? I was interesting what the the changes were with file and dir. Um, I, I seem to always. If it's been a while, I'm always uh, looking those back up again. So I guess there's some change on file.sat, file.exist, and there's a, a dir children and things. Um, do you want to speak about that for a second? That's uh, Yeah, well, there are some changes for the their the class. There's, for example, the glob method now takes a new optional keyword argument base. So, like, you can give the base folder to work on, like home and the username. That will be the base, and then we start start looking, starting from there. And then there are this children method, and I think this allows you to cover a list of the children directories. I'm not sure how that works. I haven't looked it up. But I assume you, you can pass it a, a path and then you can go over the subpaths inside that mm -hmm. path. Think that's how that works. Um, yeah. Yeah. I've used that before on um, just a couple little scripts that I wrote to manage my environment because there's sometimes when I have to see the database and to just generate a bunch of like fake data or whatever and I'm creating million millions of entries in a short period of time and my log files start to accumulate. So I've used the uh, directory entries or loop it through each child uh, it was a bit more of a pain back then, but now it looks like it's going to be a pretty easy task 
but to just then clear out any of the log files to just truncate them. So it definitely has some uses. I don't know if I would throw that into a Rails application just because, you know, it, that could have some bad, uh, bad things, but. Mm -hmm. How about this? I link uh, an article on Skype. It talks about how Ruby hides some errors from you. I'm curious if you run into this at some point, because in Ruby 2.5, one of these hidden errors is removed. In particular, is uh, with the coerce method and numeric objects. So sometimes you can do like your object plus 20. That works fine because that calls the plus method on your own class, right? But when you switch it, when you do um, number plus your object, then what uh, Ruby does in this case, it's, it calls the coerce method mm -hmm. with, this, with this number. And the problem is, is if you have an exception there, like the example I give in this article is a typo on your method name. We hide this error, and you will not see you will not see that you had a typo. You will not see the no method error exception. You will see something else. And in Ruby 2.5, they are changing this, so we no longer hide the exception. So how funny you run into this kind of hidden exception problems? Yeah, I haven't. I haven't run into that one. Okay. Well, it's good that they are removing it at least. So if we run into it, at least we will see the actual exception and not having to spend a lot of time debugging. I thought some of the things in here I did think were interesting because I thought they were already here, like uh, integer.square root or integer.squirt, as I like to call it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just assumed that it was there, but uh, apparently it's being added in in this version. So, you know, cool. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you guys ever did any Java programming, but trying to debug the error messages that Java gives you is a skill set in its own. <laughs> so um, it's like super annoying and like half the files are like things I've never even heard of. So... I think any kind of clarification of where the actual error is coming from is always a welcome change. Yeah. One other thing I'm seeing in the list here that I just want to call out is um, description set by thread uh, name equals is now visible on Windows 10. Um, I know a lot of people who are moving their development environments to Windows, and so it's nice to see support there for it as well. Like they're actually looking at that instead of just assuming that, oh, everybody's on Linux or Mac and, you know, oh, darn, sorry, it doesn't work for you. Uh, go get a real computer. <laughs> or uh, install Docker. Yeah. Which I have to admit, Docker's pretty cool, but yeah. But, you know, I have used Ruby on Windows a number of times uh, and just like weird weird situations where I had to create a Windows service that does the periodic tasks periodically. And I tried it in C-sharp. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. Like, I hate my life again. 
So <laughs> then I found out about the uh, Win32 OLE or whatever Ruby package. And, you know, you have the um, Okra, the one-click Ruby application package, which isn't maintained or anything, or at least I don't think it has been in some time. But I was able to do some pretty cool things with those two to create a Ruby service that just runs periodically in the background and it installs itself as a actual true Windows service. Oh, nice. So you can do some pretty cool things with that. Well, I just think the more we make this uh, kind of thing available to people, the better off the whole community is. So, Yeah. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Uh, Dave, do you want to start us off with picks? Yeah, sure. I have uh, two picks. Um, the first pick is the same pick that I picked last week, but I've gotten more and more into it, and I think it's super cool. And it's CureCoin, which is a type of cryptocurrency that you can do protein folding to actually reward your points. So it's not like the traditional uh, mining for hashes, but you're actually putting your GPU and energy to a good cost to help find cure for stuff like cancer, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, and stuff like that through protein folding. So um, I've been really invested in that with some spare computers that I have over the past several weeks. And so I'm really hyped up about that. And then my second pick is Video.js, which is a JavaScript library for uh, basically displaying. It's an alternate to the HTML5 video, and it just has a bunch of extra little um, features to it that's that's really cool that I like. It's an open source library uh, called Video.js, and it's what I'm using to serve up the Drifter Ruby episodes that aren't on YouTube. Awesome. Um, David, what are your picks? Yeah, so today I have one pick. It's, uh, a, con- it's a conference talk from this year's RubyConf, and it's put on by the Test Double guys. And the thing I love about it, and it fits our conversation today, is they just went over all the things that the Ruby community just rocked over the years. Things that we take for granted or that we could be reminded, you know, things about kindness and creativity and being uh, productive and, and on and on and on. And so anyway, I've got this great, it's called There's Nothing New Under the Sun with a little bit of a pun inside of there, a little bit of coding pun for when you see it. Awesome. We're actually going to have them on the show in a few weeks. So, um, Eric, what are your picks? 
so I have I have one pick. Um, I'm currently going through the process of finding a new job, and I've found that when you want to work remotely, um, a lot of companies require basically an online whiteboard test, which is pretty frustrating. Um, a lot of people like me struggle when there's a gun to your head to perform. Um, in fact, that's partially why I'm going remote is to, to remove that gun from my head. So uh, there's a person named Stephanie Hurlbert who tweeted, uh, she's she's a great coach, but she also ran the same experience where she, she had these whiteboard tests and she's like, look, it has no reflection on how good of a programmer you are. It just has a reflection on how good of a, a whiteboard programmer you are, I suppose. So she tweeted and said, hey, if anybody knows, um, if anybody's hiring that does not ask them to go through a whiteboarding deal and instead have them like do a take-home test or a pair program or something like that, post post a job. So anyway, I'll post a link to that tweet, which I thought was pretty awesome. Um, but I, I do recommend companies continue to take that approach. Uh, you know, take-home tests are great. Um, whiteboard tests typically, they they test a very different thing than than likely what you're looking for as a developer. So mm-hmm. anyway, that's my pick. Nice. I actually did a session for my finding a job course last night, and I had to talk about whiteboard tests because I'm like, you know, you do enough interviews, you're going to run into one. And yeah, I was like, uh, I, I ranted for about five minutes, <laughs> and then I was like, okay. Here, here's how you do the best you can on them, right? Um, but yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, we may have to just uh, talk about that on a future episode. I think it'd be interesting. Um, I'm going to jump in great. here with a few picks. Um, I've mentioned this before. I'm going to mention it again. Um, putting together a few new shows. Um, the As we speak, the React Indiegogo is up. By the end of the day, the Vue.js and Elixir podcast uh, Indiegogos will be up. So if you want any of those shows, go support them. Um, if you support at ten bucks, you know I'll send you stickers and you can join the Slack channel. Um, you know, twenty-five bucks you get a T-shirt and it just goes up from there. Um, if you're interested in sponsoring, um, you can also get a deal there. I'm just going to point out that um, given the number of people who have asked for these shows, and given the the kind of um, crossover I'm expecting from Ruby Rogues toward Elixir and from JavaScript Jabber toward Vue and React. Um, These are killer deals for sponsorship. And so if you're looking for an opportunity to sponsor an episode or many episodes, uh, go pick it up. I think the highest level package, um, you wind up spending about a, what, what was it? 150 bucks per episode. And typically... Um, for an, uh, a podcast that gets you know five to ten thousand downloads per episode, I'm charging at least double that. And so, if you're if you're looking for sponsorship uh, opportunities on those shows, then definitely go pick them up. Um, I'm structuring it such that all of the sponsorships can occur within the first thirty episodes, and that way I can, you know, and I'll work with you. I'll make it worth your while. But you know, then I can just start telling people, okay, you know, if you want to continue sponsoring based on traffic after that then we, you know, we can just pick it up at a particular date. But, um, you know, this is a way for me to see how much interest there is as well as cover some of the production costs um, before it, you know, I, I actually have to pay for it out of sponsorships because I don't have sponsorships for these shows right now. So um, if you want to support the shows or at least 
let me know that you're interested. I mean, just go donate a dollar so that I have a tick mark for you, right? Um, and we'll see how far we get on that. Um, but anyway, um, we'll have all of the Indiegogo's up on the show notes so that people can, you know, go and support the shows. And then besides that, I am finalizing details on React Dev Summit, and that's going to be February 26th through 2nd, March 2nd. So um, calling out to that. And then one last thing. Um, I'm not sure if this is going to come out before CES. If it does, I'm going to be in Las Vegas from January 7th through the 12th. And I'm probably going to have a meetup. So if you go to devchat.tv slash events, you can see when the meetup is. I'll also be in Atlanta uh, the end of January, beginning of February, and Oakland um, that first week of February. So I'll have meetups there too. So if you're in any of those areas, um, go to devchat.tv slash events, and you can see when we're doing that. Um, so sorry to plug all my stuff, but I've got a lot of stuff coming up and going on, and I want to meet as many people as possible and and find ways to interact with you. And so these are all of kind of the best ways to do that. So um, anyway, um, Jesus, what are your picks? Yeah, I would like to mention some great Ruby gems. I like, for example, Awesome Print. I really like it because it allows you to, you can use it in IRB or Pry, and it colors and formats your hashes and your arrays. So you can more clearly see your output if you are working on Pry or IRB. Then I also like table print. And table print allows you to format some data. Uh, some objects. What it does is it reads the methods on your object, and then it creates a table. So you can see a very nice table on your terminal. You can use this for Rails objects and things like that. And then I also like another gem is called Rails ERD. And what this does is it reads your schema file for a Rails project, and then it generates a picture, like a UML diagram that shows you the tables with their columns, their relationships, and things like that. And it's very useful if you are jumping to a new project and you want to see how things are connected together. And if I may, I will also like to mention my site where you can find Ruby tutorials. It's called rubyguides.com. I have over 50 Ruby tutorials there for all skill levels. Awesome. Very cool. Well, yeah, I'll just plus one you on the rubyguides.com. Uh, folks, go check it out. Um, and if people want to follow you on Twitter, GitHub, uh, where do they go? Yeah, my Twitter handle is Matt. GM right now and also GitHub is also Matthew GM. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming and uh, you know adding to our conversation on Ruby 2.5. Um, it's coming out on Christmas 2017. Uh, I always think that that's cool. You know, it's like, hey, here's a Christmas <laughs> present. But uh, yeah, uh, keep an eye out for that, and uh, we're all looking forward to Ruby 3. So we'll. Yes. Thanks for having me. Yep. We'll go ahead and wrap this yep. one up, and we will catch everyone next week. All right, see you later. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. 
Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.